Alright guys, welcome to the 11th episode of the All Team Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and on this episode I interviewed Mr. Mike Mahler. Mike is author of the book Live Life Aggressively, What Self Self-Help Gurus Should Be Telling You. Mike is also a kettlebell expert as well as an expert in the fields of nutrition and hormone optimization. This was a really informative interview as all my interviews have been up until now, so I hope you guys really enjoyed. Okay, Mr. Mike Mahler, as with all my guests, it's an absolute honour to have you on my podcast. How are things in your part of the world? Oh, thanks a lot for having me. Things are great. Thank you. Um, Just for the listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, can you just fill us in on your background? Yeah, sure. I'm a fitness professional. I've been in the industry since 2002, and I specialize in kettlebell training, and then a few years into my career, I really got into natural hormone optimization, and that's kind of emerged as what's starting to become my primary focus. So I kind of see that being the direction I go into in the years to come. So basically what I do is I right now I help people on the physical fitness side of things via kettlebells and traditional weight training, via articles, books, videos, workshops. And then I also work with people's endocrinology without using hormones to optimize their hormonal profile, biochemical messengers that induce actions. And we look at nutrition, supplementation, restoration, stress management skill sets, very in-depth stuff. Uh, Mike, can you just give us the story that got you into this? Uh, I remember you told that story about the, the, the incident with the infection in your lung going to Africa. Yeah, yeah. Back in 2002, I was under a lot of stress. I was in a really bad marriage. I was just starting my fitness business, so I wasn't making much money. I was living in an expensive part of California, Santa Monica, and on top of all of these stresses, I was working out really hard because that was always my go-to place whenever I had stress. It was the place where I could still feel in charge and feel really good about myself. So I was working out really hard. I'm sorry, Bob. I'm going to have to... I'm here by myself in the house. I'm going to answer the door. One second. It's okay. Just hold on one second, guys. saying you were working out hard yeah yeah so I was under a lot of stress at the time and I was working out hard because that was the place I went to when I wanted to feel in charge but one thing people forget is that training is actually a stress a form of stress as well mm-hmm. and it's one that we can recover from and go on to be stronger and more resilient if we have the other areas taken care of so if you're sleeping well and you have a good nutrition and you're managing stress then you thrive when you work out but if you have the opposite then you're just burning the candle on both ends. Mm-hmm. So where this ended up is they culminated in me getting a really bad case of pneumonia. Both of my lungs got completely filled up with bacteria. And I, this is a, a this is a an illness that Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, he actually died from this. You, you basically just drown in your own fluids. And I had to have 40 liters of bacteria pulled out of one lung. The next day I went back in, they pulled out another 40 liters. And I lost about 30 pounds, mainly muscle, during this whole process. And it took a while to really get back into training and so forth. But what I learned, what I learned from this is just basically how much stress will take out of you, how stress literally does kill if we don't stay on top of it. And what I went through is an extreme example, but a lot of people are going through something similar at a much slower rate or a much faster rate depending on what stresses are going on with them. So after this whole process, I wanted to learn how to – not just manage stress better, but how to make myself more 
energy, everything led to hormone optimization. And so I started going down that path, started reading a lot of different books about hormone optimization, articles, studies, consulting with doctors. And it was, it was very interesting and frustrating at the same time because most of the information was from a hormone replacement strategy, meaning you go to a doctor, they do a blood test, they look at what your hormone levels are. If you score low, they put you on hormone replacement. No questions about your diet, your lifestyle, stress levels, anything like that. It's all about just improving numbers on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And I was only 29 at the time, so it didn't really make sense to me that if my hormone levels weren't optimal, it didn't make sense to me that it was age-related. So hormone replacement didn't make sense to me at such a young age. I'm not against hormone replacement. I think it has a place when you have, for either a population group that is older, where you're just not going to be able to rejuvenate the glands, or a, or a person who's maybe been through some trauma, such as a head injury, where your pituitary gland is damaged now. Nothing you do naturally is going to ramp up your growth hormone, for example, if your pituitary gland is damaged. So there are times when hormone replacement makes sense, but I didn't feel that it made sense for me. And that's what got me down the path of learning how to optimize these things naturally. It's like, what can we do with diet to change things? What can we do with training, with restoration, improving sleep? And as I studied this stuff further, it really came down to three master control hormones that are the most important ones to focus on. And actually, if I wanted to expand that out, I would say there's about really five that are important. But out of the five, uh, the five are leptin, insulin, adrenaline, melatonin, and growth hormone. And out of all of those, I would say leptin is the most important one. Um, can you explain what, why you think leptin is the most important one, Mike? Sure. Yeah, leptin is a master control hormone that is located in fat cells, and it communicates with the brain. It actually acts as a natural fuel gauge. So when we eat a meal, it lets us know when we've had enough fuel and when to shut off. So when leptin is working perfectly, we have a very accurate fuel gauge and we avoid what's called nutrient spillover where we consume too much and then what we're not using is stored as excess body fat. Now, what happens with a lot of people is, now right. why, why leptin is important is that it communicates with the brain not only to let us know what our fuel gauge is, where our fuel gauge is at, how much reserves we're at, but it also controls energy expenditure, it sets our metabolic rate. So when you're consuming enough energy, high quality energy that you can digest and utilize, then your leptin levels are set high and your metabolism is set very high, so you have excess energy to burn. And that energy can be used for sex hormone production, like improving testosterone levels, growth hormone, progesterone in women, etc. So when we have optimal leptin levels, everything else falls into play, because leptin is the king. Leptin is what decides what where energy is allocated towards. Now, what happens with a lot of people is that through a really bad diet, not enough sleep, and just high levels of stress, you develop a condition called leptin resistance. And what this means is you're still producing adequate levels of leptin, but the receptors in the brain are not picking it up. The receptors are worn out. Worn out from eating way too often, which is a big problem, eating too much of processed junk foods, which confuse the receptors, you don't know what to do with it, eating too much fructose, especially processed fructose, fructose increases a lot of triglyceride levels and it makes it very difficult for leptin to make it to the brain receptors. So it's basically a variety of things that causes leptin resistance, but what happens when you have leptin resistance is because the brain is not getting the signal that you have optimal levels of fuel, it downregulates everything. So now you no longer have energy to produce sex hormones to produce growth hormone and you also your metabolic rate is set very low even though you could be consuming a high level of, of caloric intake there are basically anyone you see that's overweight has leptin resistance and one thing we hear a lot from overweight people is that they're hungry all the time doesn't matter how much they eat so they can eat a huge meal and they'll be hungry again an hour or two later okay. and the reason why is not just when we hear these kind of stories, we think, oh, you just lack mental discipline and you, you just need to use willpower. And that may be part of it. But most life, but we're essentially slaves to our hormones. So if our hormones are telling us to do something, then it's a battle of attrition to resist that because there are biochemical messengers that induce actions. So what's happening in this case is that they're consuming a lot of calories, 
but the brain doesn't realize that they have an excess amount of stored energy already. So the perception that the brain has is that they're still in a starvation state and that they should continue to keep consuming more energy. So it becomes a vicious cycle where you're consuming a lot of energy, but your metabolic rate is set very low. So as a result, you're just storing body fat all day long. You're a professional fat storage machine. And when you store a lot of body fat, you increase something called aromatized enzymes, which converts a lot of testosterone into estrogen, which is why a lot of guys that are overweight, they start developing a lot of pectoral fats, et cetera. This is from the conversion of testosterone into estrogen. The more body fat you have, the more of these aromatase enzymes you have, the more estrogen you're going to store in those fat cells, and just the more toxicity you're going to have as well because your body wants to push the toxins away from vital organs into all the stored body fat. So, Mike, what do you do when someone comes to you in this state? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily treat people. I'm a researcher. I'm, I don't know. I'm not a doctor or a naturopath. So I basically lecture on these things, and I give people information. But if they want to actually be treated, then they should go to a professional, and I, send, I recommend it to many people. But general guidelines that I talk about when I lecture on the topic of hormone optimization is, one, you want to get all the junk out of your food. I mean, out of your, you want to get all the junk food out of your diet. So that means things like processed food that comes in a box. When you look at the ingredients, if it has 10, 20 things you don't understand, that's not something you should be consuming. It should be very simple ingredients. And number two is you want to have a balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates at every meal. When you have a balance of protein, fat, carbs, then you balance your blood sugar levels, you fuel your brain, you give yourself the right amount of energy to keep you steady. And then you want, and you want to focus on real food. So get all your carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables primarily, ideally low glycemic fruits and vegetables. Get all of your protein from good, lean sources such as organic meats, nuts and seeds combined with legumes. Good fats are critical such as coconut oil, chia seed oil is very good, olive oil is good, nuts and seeds, other good sources of fat. These are all things that we need for the endocrine system to opt to work really well. So I'm not a fan of low fat diets or low carbohydrate diets because we need each macronutrient for optimal functioning and when you really deplete one too much you're just you're going to create a hormonal imbalance, and you're just not going to feel like you're bad. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things that people should do. Next, people want to take longer stretches in between each meal. People eat too often. They're snacking all the time. They're eating every two hours. And what happens when you do this is you develop something called leptin, or not not, not leptin resistance. Oh, this that, that this attributes to that, but insulin resistance. And with insulin resistance. Insulin is also another master control hormone where when insulin is working really well, it's anabolic. It fuels the muscles, the cells, the liver. Now, when you're eating too, when you have insulin resistance, you have to create a very high level of insulin to drive nutrients into the cells, muscles, and liver. And what happens after this is that your blood sugar levels crash and then you get really hungry again minutes later. So you're stuck in this vicious cycle where you're also going to become a fat storage machine. So we have to optimize insulin, and we do that by, again, the balance of macronutrients, but taking longer stretches in between each meal. So instead of two or three hours in between each meal, let's go to five or six, because three hours after you eat, the hormone insulin starts going down. Another one called glucagon starts coming up, and glucagon is the opposite of insulin. It starts pulling energy from the liver, and then it goes to stored body fat to fuel you to keep your blood sugar level stable. So now you're getting a snack on stored body fat in between each meal, and most people have a lot of stored body fat. So rather than rely on food in between each meal for snacks, snack on your own body fat. So for someone who wants to lose weight, it makes sense that three meals a day, six hours minimum in between each meal, and you're good to go. And when people hear this, they go, oh, that's a long time. And it, this is how people used to eat for a long time, breakfast, lunch, dinner. That's where the concept came. You ate breakfast, you worked for a long time, took a lunch break, worked again for a long time, took dinner, and that was it. You didn't snack all day long in between meals. So it's, it's something also where when you're giving your body really good nutrition, when you give yourself a really good breakfast, you're not going to have a problem going six hours. Any hunger you have is going to be psychological because you're used to eating all the time. For example, I have a protein shake in the morning, which I call a power shake because I mix it with all kinds of things in it. I choose green vegetables, put that in there. I put stuff like acai 
eat blueberries. I put some good fats in there, like coconut oil, good amount of protein powder, spices, and mix all of this stuff together. Step on that for 30 minutes, 45 minutes early in the day, and then I'm good to go for six hours. I'm not even thinking about hunger. My brain is sharp. Energy is good. I'm ready to go. Now, for someone that wants to put on muscle, they're working out really hard, they'll find that three meals is not really enough because you're just burning so much energy. So in that case, I like four meals per day with about four hours in between each meal. Or you may find that you just eat light during the day, and then you have a, a much bigger feast at night. And this is a style of eating that my friend developed, Ori Hoffmeckler, called the Warrior Diet, where you just snack during the day on good fuel sources, and then at night you have a big meal. So you go through under-eating and over-eating, and that's also really good for keeping the receptor sensitive and keeping yourself energized during the day. So there's a couple of ways to do it, but it's, it's not as complex as people think. One, you focus on real food, take a lot of stretches in between each meal, and then you need to improve sleep. If your sleep is really deprived, then your leptin resistance will go way up and your growth hormone will shut down big time. And growth hormone actually helps leptin stay sensitive as well, so they work well together. And when you're in a really high leptin resistance state, you pull the plug on growth hormone. Growth hormone is critical for skin health, workout recovery, building muscle, energy, you name it. So sleep, we're a very sleep-deprived culture, and especially in developed parts of the world, where an average person is sleeping maybe four, five, six hours of poor quality sleep. They're tossing and turning. They're overly stimulated. You need to improve the quality of your sleep and actually develop the skill set of sleeping really well. So I recommend meditation for about 30 minutes before you go to sleep or light reading 30 minutes before you go to sleep, stretching 30 minutes before you go to sleep, whatever helps put you in a, in a relaxed, induced state. What you want to avoid is television, internet, things like that, because that just stimulates your mind, and then you go to sleep in a somewhat agitated state. You need to go to sleep in a very relaxed state. Mike, I heard you speak before about um, carbohydrates post-workout depress growth hormone. Can you just speak about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a lot of people say that you need to get a high-carbohydrate protein meal immediately and after you work out, otherwise you're going to not make the progress you want, you're not going to recover as quickly. And I think that's a big mistake for a couple of reasons. One, you're in a highly inflammatory state immediately after you work out, and you're basically in an insulin resistance state, so you're not really going to be ready to take in all those nutrition. Your body's in a trauma state from the workout. So what happens in that state is you release a lot of systemic enzymes to battle inflammation. When you start eating, those enzymes go to break down the food you just consumed. So now you're not getting the optimal recovery that you would get if you waited, let's say, 30 minutes to an hour after you work out. So I think a better strategy would be finish your workout, take a supplement called systemic enzymes to increase your amount of systemic enzymes because they do go down with age. And I really like one called Exelzyme that people can read about at my website, MikeMahler.com. Take about three caps of that immediately after you work out. And that's really going to bring down the inflammation. And then when you bring down inflammation, you also bring down cortisol because cortisol is an anti-inflammatory hormone. It's a stress hormone. And we don't want to have high levels of cortisol after a workout. We want to bring it down so that we go into an active recovery phase. Now, also, we also increase growth hormone a great deal, especially if we did a workout like sprinting or high-intensity training, anything where you did a lot of repetitions and built up a lot of, a lot of lactic acid. So let's let that growth hormone surge stay up for a while rather than cut it off. Once you start eating, insulin goes up, and then that's going to cut down your growth hormone production. So instead of having a meal immediately after you work out, have it about 30 minutes to an hour after. Instead, take some systemic enzymes, get a post-workout nap in, wake up, and then have a really good meal. Now, Superhuman Radio did a great data, a researcher on there who said that as long as you have a meal within four hours of working out, you have a full recovery. So this whole window of opportunity where you have to get something in 45 minutes after you work out, that is, that is basically just propaganda from supplement companies that want to sell you post-workout drinks, which mm -hmm. is one of the most popular categories out there. Get a protein shake in right after you work out, otherwise you're not going to recover. It's sure it's 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 kind of the same with the eat six hours a day. You know, the kind of cereal companies and snack yeah, bar companies. Yes, a day, yeah. Um, and, that, and the thing about eating six times a day, which a lot of people do, I'm not saying it's not effective. I mean, a lot of bodybuilders eat that way and so forth, and they, and fitness competitors, and they get lean, and they're like, oh, I'm getting a metabolic boost every time I eat. 
but the metabolic boost is only going to process the food that's coming in. You're not going to store body fat as not as much. Now, also, what I don't like about six meals a day is that you're always relying on the energy that's coming in, and if you miss one of those meals, you feel like crap. I mean, your energy, your levels just, your energy just goes down the drain. Mm -hmm. Now, with the way I eat, where you have longer stretches in between each meal, I'm actually used to performing at a high level on a relatively empty empty stomach. So when I teach a seminar, often I don't even have anything to eat. I can wake up that day and teach a six to eight hour seminar going at full power without eating anything mm-hmm. and then splurge right after the course. So I don't I don't want to be someone where if I miss if I don't have something some kind of fuel every two, three hours then I can't perform at a high level. That to me is very inefficient. I want to be someone where my body is much more efficient where I can operate at a high level in a depleted state, if necessary. Mm-hmm. Mike, do you take the digestive system and function into consideration? Yeah, it's very important. Basically, the more energy we can get from food, the more energy we have for hormonal production. So gut health is critical for hormone optimization. And GI tract issues will put the brakes on hormone optimization, to say the least. So it really, it all starts with how well we can assimilate food, how well we can extract energy from the food that we're eating. And three things really help with that. One is eliminating food sensitivities. And you can do a blood test where they look at how your blood reacts to 95 common foods. Mm-hmm. Lifeextension.org has a really good one in the U.S. I'm not sure about Ireland or the U.K., but it shouldn't be hard to find. I mean, you may have, you may know a good option. Now, with the blood test, it measures your inflammatory response to food. So if you have a very strong immune response, that's a food that you have a very high sensitivity to and is one that you want to avoid. Now, if you have a very low sensitivity to it, it means that you don't have an aggressive immune response. So you're not wasting a lot of energy treating the food as a foreign invader. You're able to assimilate that energy much better. And then you're going to have a lot more energy. Your, your fat, stubborn fat will start coming off. And you will also have a lot more energy that can be allocated towards hormone production and thriving, putting yourself into a thriving state. So eliminating food sensitivities is very important. And people will be shocked about how many they have. I've, I've looked at many blood tests for food sensitivities, and no two are ever the same. And it's never really stuff that's obvious. It's not something where you go, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised that one's on there. A lot of times it's stuff that you never would have guessed, such as uh, oranges or broccoli or spinach. Yeah, I see, like that. I see that too. Like people, you know, allergic to like chicken and beef, and yeah, as you said, spinach, and broccoli. Like apparently these superfoods, and they're they they have sensitivities to them. Yeah, exactly, and it, and, it, and it just basically shows you why every single diet, without exception, fails ultimately because it can't take you as an individual into account. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could read one book like the Paleo Diet and say, "Oh, great, I'm just going to eat every meat I want and vegetables, and I'm good to go." And then you do a blood test and only one or two meats you can take. The rest of them you have high sensitivity to and maybe 40% of the vegetables you were thinking about consuming you have high sensitivity to. So it's never it's never cut and dry. It's never that simple. And this is why I think a lot of people fail on nutrition plans is because, again, it's not taking you as an individual into account. So the more personalized you can make your approach, the more effective it's going to be. Now next, there's a couple supplements I really like for improving GI tract health. And then GI when you're not when you don't have a G, when you don't have GI tract health it basically means you have something called irritable bowel syndrome which means you go between diarrhea and constipation constantly so it's not a fun place to be I mean it also shows that you're not assimilating any nutrition from the food that you're eating you're putting a lot of stress on your body every time you eat and you're getting very little out of the food that you're consuming so such people always have a hard time losing weight, and then people have a hard time building muscle too because you're not getting any energy. You're not getting maximal energy from the food that you're eating. So we got to get rid of these gut health problems. After the food sensitivities have been eliminated, you want to rejuvenate your GI tract. So glutamine, which is often touted as a muscle-building supplement, and it's never been shown to be effective on that front, but glutamine is very good at restoring immunity in the GI tract. So about five grams first thing in the morning, another five grams before you go to sleep. That's going to help rejuvenate your GI tract, induce GI tract healing. And then also I really like probiotics. Probiotics are really important for restoring good flora in your GI tract. And if you've ever taken antibiotics, then you've stripped the good flora out of your GI tract. So it's important to introduce it back in via a good probiotic product. 
anywhere from 30 to 50 billion species. So you don't want to get these low-quality probiotics that maybe only have 1 billion or less. You want a, you want a high-potency probiotic. One cap before you go to sleep on an empty stomach is a good way to go. That's going to really build, rebuild that flora while you're sleeping, so you'll have much better digestion the next day. This is one of the best things you can take for for people that have traveler's diarrhea or they're just bloated after meals or they're, they're just constipated. Probiotics will really help you get back to being regular and having a healthier GI tract. Mm-hmm. And then digestive enzymes are very important too. Again, as we get older, we're not producing as much in terms of digestive enzymes and also the way that the food is processed nowadays. Even if you do the best you can to get organic and so forth, we're not getting the same nutrition from food that people got, let's say, 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago. So we're not getting as much as the enzymes from the fruits and vegetables. Years ago, we used to get so much enzymes from fruits and vegetables that you would never need the supplements. You had so much enzyme production that could be used for digesting other things from fruits and vegetables. Not so much the case now. So a good digestive enzyme, which is not expensive, I mean, you're looking at maybe 10 to 15 euro a month for a good digestive enzyme product, Take about one or two caps right before you eat a meal, and that'll really help you extract a lot more energy from the food that you're eating. And for people that have GI tract issues, this is this you notice the benefits pretty fast within a few days. Now, also I like betatine HCL, which is also known as hydrochloric acid. We need a healthy level of, of acidity in the stomach, and if we don't have a healthy level of acidity in the stomach, we get a lot of indigestion. And then people make the mistake of taking stuff like antacids, which further depletes the acidity in your stomach and just compounds the problem further. So a good hydrochloric acid at about 250 milligrams to maybe 500 with each meal, and you want to make sure it's a meal that has protein in it because this is really what it helps break down. You don't take hydrochloric acid with a salad, for example, or a fruit shake or something like that. You take it with a protein-based meal. And it's really going to help break down that protein. It also kills parasites in the stomach. And it's also something that's inexpensive. You're not going to break the piggy bank to take any of these supplements that I mentioned. Probiotics will be the most expensive out of the three, but still well worth it. But digestive enzymes, glutamine, and hydrochloric acid are are all very inexpensive. And when you get your GI tract health back, you're going to not have that bloated stomach anymore. You're going to have a lot more energy. You're not going to be gassy. You're not going to have indigestion. You're just going to be much happier and have much more productive energy to do other things with. And then the final thing that I really like for GI tract health actually is ginger. You can take it as ginger powder. You can juice ginger. You can cook with ginger or whatever you want to do, ginger tea. I'm a big fan of ginger. I use a variety of ginger sources all the time. Usually I put ginger powder in my protein shakes. I'll juice ginger, add that to some of my shakes as well. I drink ginger tea after meals. Ginger is really good at increasing your immune system. It's a great cold buster, and it's also very good at making the GI tract stronger and more resilient. So that's another simple thing that you can add into your regimen to really improve your gut health. Mike, would you ever recommend uh, detoxifications? Uh, Like not... Not, not not as a lifestyle, but as just something to do every now and again, like, you know, just detox the liver, detox the colon. I mean, I think one great way to detox the liver is to just have fresh lemon, squeeze a lemon in a glass of water, put a little bit of sea salt in it, have that first thing in the morning with about eight ounces of water. Mm-hmm. That really detoxifies your liver and, and just cleans you out so you, that your system is ready to go for the day. So I would recommend that. And that that's something I do every day. I just put lemon in water, a little bit of sea salt first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. two glasses of water, and that definitely flushes you out, flushes the toxins from your liver, so I do recommend that. Intermittent fasting can be useful, and that's maybe one day out of the week or once every two weeks, you do a 24-hour water fast, mm-hmm. and I don't do it that often, just because I don't really feel like I have a high level of toxicity at this point, I'm very clean, but every once in a while, like maybe once a month, I'll do it, and it's not something I plan, I'll just wake up one day and say, okay, today I feel like just cleaning out. And then you drink a lot of water and, and cleanse your system. And other, besides that, though, I think that eliminating food sensitivities will give you all the detox benefits you really need. Generally, when someone goes on a detox, it's because they're, they just have a toxic overload from eating the wrong foods. Mm-hmm. So those are not things that you should eliminate every once in a while. You should, you should eliminate it permanently yeah. if you want to get your GI tract health and just be at a high level. 
and, and as you said earlier on sleep is very important and sleep is, is a very good detoxification agent as well in itself yeah it is we, we increase a lot of glutathione levels when we're sleeping so we're really gonna which is a very important for detoxification mm-hmm. sleep basically is where we give ourselves a reboot it's like turning off our computer for the night and letting it cool down so it doesn't overheat so when we don't get optimal levels of sleep, then nothing else we do is going to matter. It doesn't matter what supplements you're taking or how good your diet is. If your sleep is not optimal, then you're not going to be functioning in an optimal state. Mike, just to backtrack there, you, you talked about glutamine. Um, do you know why it's good for the immune system? Do you, do you know what it does to the GI tract? Glutamine, I think, just it just gets picked up as a fuel very well for the GI tract, and it, it increase a lot of our immune system is in the GI tract. Yeah. So glutamine really builds immunity, and it, when you consume it orally, it all gets eaten up by the GI tract, which is why it's not really beneficial for other arenas such as improving muscle function and things like that that a lot of people tout it as. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what I do say is that that's a good thing. You want the GI tract eat up the glutamine because that's where it's going to help rebuild your immune system and without a healthy GI tract then nothing else is going to matter you're not going to get the benefits from your workouts I mean if you have diarrhea and constipation all the time how well do you think you're going to perform when you're training or doing anything in life mm-hmm. so, so you're going to be you're going to be burning adrenaline to have energy and that, that's the last thing you want mm-hmm. so in, indirectly it, it kind of can help to build muscle because it's, yeah exactly it's, yeah exactly indirectly it definitely does directly not so much in terms of you're not going to take glutamine and it's not it's not going to necessarily be anti-catabolic where you have less muscle breakdown but it's going to rejuvenate your gi help rejuvenate your gi tract where you get more energy from the food you're eating and then that's going to help with your performance goals my training partner is obsessed with more is better and i i always try and say to him you know minimum effective dose quality over quantity and uh but he it's it's as if he accepts this he knows this but in the other sense it's like he's addicted to exercise how would you deal with these uh individuals yeah i mean i call such people stimulus addicts and basically they're addicted to the stimulus of exercise just like someone's addicted to the stimulus of sugar or any kind of drug out there alcohol you name it and what you I mean, I mean, you basically have to look at why Why are you training? Are you training because you have a goal in mind? Do you want to achieve something? And then if that's the case, what's the most efficient way to get to that goal? Mm-hmm. And that's where I go come from is that I'm performance-based. So all of my workouts are leading in a direction whether I want to get stronger or do more reps or do this. So if I work out all the time and it's not furthering that end, then what's the point? And it's also like this. If I can get... If I can achieve my goal with three workouts a week and working out six times a week is not going to help me get there any faster, then what's the point of doing those extra three workouts per week? Mm-hmm. It's counterproductive. So I think that a lot of times when people are addicted to exercise, it's because it's a coping mechanism for something else that's going on in their life, such mm-hmm. as they're not happy with something else. When they exercise, they feel empowered. So they want to be in that place as often as they can be. And I think what you what you want to do is address the areas of your life that need improvement rather than doing redirection tactics where you're focusing on something else to distract yourself. It's basically a distraction game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I keep I keep saying to him, you you got to check out Mike Moller's stuff. Just 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 check out Mike Moller's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, can you speak about um? exercise and that and, and exercise impact on, on, on hormones and what exercise you prefer to, to perform yeah when we're talking about hormone optimization the stuff that increases growth hormone is high intensity exercise such as sprinting hill sprinting I'm a big fan of so you do 10 50 yard sprints as fast as you can and you do one sprint 50 yards walk back do another walk back etc stuff that builds up a lot of lactic acid at a high intensity leaves you huffing and puffing those things increase growth hormone dramatically. So kettlebell swings could be another example. Double kettlebell swings, 10 to 15 reps, very short breaks for 10 sets. That's going to be a great growth hormone producing workout. And then I like workouts where you're, the focus is on building muscle and getting stronger because, and this doesn't have to be bulk. When women hear this, they go, I don't want to get bigger. And when they say that, what they really mean is they don't want to get bulkier because you can build muscle and still be very sleek. You don't have to be bulky and cumbersome. Now, when the more muscle you have, the more androgen receptors you have. And androgen receptors are what help us pick up the beneficial sex hormones like testosterone in men 
in women, they also pick up testosterone, but other hormones as well. So we want to have we we want to have as many androgen receptors sensitive, and the way to do that is to do training that builds a need for the androgen receptors to be engaged. So I really like compound exercises, heavy weight training, where you focus on five areas, upper body pressing, upper body pulling, lower body pressing, lower body pulling, and then some torso work or core work. You cover these five areas, you're good to go, and don't waste your time with a lot of isolation work unless it's been determined that you need it. Maybe you have a particular injury or something like that. But focus on these five areas, and you're going to develop in a balanced manner where you don't develop a lot of posture problems or imbalance issues or things like that. So an example, and it doesn't have to be all at one workout. It could be upper body one workout, lower body the next workout. You can split it up. Or you could even have upper body pressing with lower body pulling one day and then upper body pulling with lower body pressing the other day. This is what Mark Phillippe had me do, a strongman legend out here in Las Vegas. So there's definitely many ways to do it, but you focus on compound exercises such as barbell squats, deadlifts, bench press, weighted dips, overhead press, push-ups are good, pull-ups, bent over row, things like that, rather than wasting your time with a lot of exercises where you're just isolating one unit. And then the rep range is going to be basically three to three sets of five to seven is good for building up the muscle, building up strength. You may want to go lower reps, slightly higher. It's going to be based on the individual. But that's basically kind of a nutshell of the kind of training I like. So then I like to combine that with high-intensity endurance training or high-intensity work capacity training. And that's where kettlebells are really good. You do a lot of kettlebell snatches. You do sprinting. You can do weight vest walks. And now you really have the best of both worlds. You're getting a lot stronger, developing muscle, you're getting those androgen receptors high, and then you're doing a lot of endurance work, so your heart health is good, your work capacity is very good, so you have more energy and stamina for daily activities, whatever you do in life, and then you're also getting a nice growth hormone boost from those high-intensity endurance-type workouts. What, what duration uh, would you recommend for workouts? I like 45 minutes or less, no more than an hour. Basically, after about an hour, you're just increasing a lot of cortisol. Also, I find that after an hour, you're just wasting time. Yeah. If you really push it hard for 45 minutes on basic movements, you're not going to want to work out for more than an hour. So when I hit it really hard on deadlifts, weighted dips, and I do some dragon flags from my midsection, I do some kettlebell swings, and then I do some weighted pull-ups, if I put in a full effort on those exercises, I don't want to do more after that. I'm happy to leave. So I find that people who like to work out a long time, they're usually just messing around. They're chit-chatting with people. They're just doing curls with a bed, they're texting a friend afterwards, do some tricep push downs. You know, they're wasting time. Get in the gym, know why you're there, or go to your home gym, know exactly what you're going to do, get it done, get out of there. It's uh, it's funny you, you, you say, you know, um, a push, a pull, lower body, and a push, pull, upper body, because I have a friend, Patrick Ward, who's a strength coach in Phoenix, Arizona, and his wife turned around one day and said, strength trend is simple. Legs, push, pull, core, that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I, mean, yeah. I think every high-level strength coach comes to this conclusion. You just kind of look at how the body moves. You look at movement patterns rather than muscle groups. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's when, the same. I, I tell my guys the same when they go into the gym. I say, if you go into a gym and just do uh, legs, push, pull, you're, you're ahead 90% of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'll, I'll do weighted depth, and someone will ask me, what do you do for triceps? Like, I don't need to do anything else for triceps because I just did weighted dips where you hit the front delts, the pecs, the triceps. I mean, weighted dips are the best tricep exercise you can do, just like weighted pull-ups are the best bicep exercise you can do. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, you're also building up all the compound, you're building up all the big muscle groups as well, so it's very time efficient. You don't have to waste time with a lot of isolation exercises when you're doing the compound movements. It's funny you say that because when I train my guys in my facility, after after the session, they come up and go, you know, what what's good for the arms? And I was just like, close grip bench press and weighted chin ups. And they go, we already did those today. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people like, look, if you just focused on barbell squat and deadlift or barbell front squat and deadlifts, and that's all you ever did, you're going to do a lot better than the majority of people out there. Exactly. And yeah. how many people do you actually see do those exercises? 
I mean, I go to a commercial gym here just to do deadlifts and squats and get out of the house because I work at home a lot. And there's only one squat rack there. I never have to worry about it being used because <laughs> nobody does barbell squats. If they're yeah. in there, they're doing curls or something else, some of this other moronic exercise. And then deadlifts, I think I'm the only guy, maybe one of my friends who's a powerlifter, that's it. Maybe two of us who do deadlifts the whole time. And every, guy, every young guy makes the same mistake. I don't know why. It's a rite of passage, I guess, where you just bench press all day long with bad form. Then you do some curls with bad form. And then you do sit-ups until eternity comes. And then that's your workout. Yeah. No one looks good doing that <laughs> for obvious reasons. Squats and deadlifts hit way more muscle groups. And not only that, the hormonal effects of such exercises are going to be much more tremendous mm-hmm. than doing a bunch of isolation exercises. You put three or 400 pounds on your back and you bang out a lot of reps, there's going to be some serious benefits from doing that. Same thing with deadlifts as well. These are the power moves that you want to focus your energy on. I always do squats and deadlifts first because I want to make sure that I have optimal energy for those two exercises because they're the ones that are most productive. Mike, do you ever think there is a situation where exercise is actually dangerous for someone? And what I mean by that is not dangerous as in they're going to hurt themselves physically, but they're in such bad shape hormonally that exercise is just stress that they, that, that they just can't handle at this time. Yeah, that can be a, that can be a case. And that's, that's usually common with people who like to work out is they've worked themselves into the ground where the best thing they can do is take a few weeks off from training to, to rebuild their adrenal system. Their adrenal system is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Like I had a friend who was, a, who was a coach who was just under a lot of stress and he was working out really hard and he went to have his hormones tested and, and they couldn't even detect testosterone. I mean, they couldn't even measure it. They couldn't even find it. And then the DHEA levels, which the ultimate stress hormone, anti-stress hormone management hormone, was totally depleted as well. So the best, So fortunately, he got some good advice, which is, Three weeks, no training. You want to go for a walk, you want to do some light stretching, that's fine, but no training whatsoever. So this guy took about three or four weeks off, and when when he started working out again, he was actually stronger after that four-week layoff than he was before he took the four weeks off. He was in such a depleted state that the best thing he could do to improve his strength and fitness would be to take four weeks off. Now, the average person is not this person. The average person is the exact opposite. I mean, they don't, they don't exercise ever, so they're not overtrained. People always worry about overtraining. Most people don't train hard enough to ever worry about that. Mm-hmm. What, they, what the problems they have, though, is that their diet is so poor and their sleep is so poor that they don't have the, the, rejuvenations, the rejuvenation sources to fully recover from workouts, and that's why they get excessively sore and just get discouraged after a while. So you, you have to build people up gradually. I mean, shows like The Biggest Loser in America, and I, I think they have one in, I think they have the equivalent in, in the UK as well. Yeah. I mean, these, these shows are like the worst kind of advice you can do with someone, for example, who's really heavy. If someone's 100 pounds overweight, I'm not going to have them lift weights. I'm going to have them start off an exercise regimen by walking around the block. Because when you carry that much weight, that is a form of weight training now. So go walk one mile a day every single day. Then walk two miles. That's going to take a lot of weight off. Let's clean up your diet, get you moving, get some mobility back in your regimen. Once we start getting a lot of the weight off, then we can start introducing things like kettlebell swings and jump roping, you know, things like that. But let's start off with what is actually manageable for that person, what they can actually incorporate into their routine and build from there, rather than making the mistake of overwhelming someone and then trying to dial it back. I always like to have someone start off with, maybe a little bit less than what I think they can do and then build it up from there rather than overwhelming them and then having to dial it back. Yeah, I've I, I seen this. I, I ran a boot camp at the end of last year and, uh-huh. and did, um, like, it, it was just so, I'm not going to lie, it was really depressing because what I figured out was, I was like, God, these people, this is the last thing they need, get up out of their bed at half five in the morning, come and do exercise. Like, they haven't even slept four or five hours their diet isn't right and I was just thinking like this is just working like they think this is good and I'm like it's just doing the complete opposite to them if anything and you know but by the end of the six weeks of the boot camp they were like so tired and just like negative and I was like you know it would have been far better off just to have given them like a health class and you know just change a little this in your diet get rid of these foods try and go to bed earlier and their hormones would have been in a much healthier place and they probably would have got the des- desired results that they were actually looking for from the boot camp which of course is just weight loss or fat loss but um, yeah 
Just think exactly. about it. Go ahead. So when someone, so when someone is really out of it, and they have no energy and so forth, let's focus on just getting their diet better. Yeah. Maybe introducing stress man, stress management techniques, and to Tai Chi, Qigong, things like that. And the problem is, is that people want quick results, and then that's where people get stuck on this roller coaster of they wake up one day and go, I'm going to change my life. So they, they go to the gym and work out really hard, even though they haven't done it maybe ever or it's the first time in years. And then what happens the next day is they're inevitably sore, they can't move, and then they're like, oh, they, they take a few days off, and then they're right back to where they started from. Yeah. So the, the key is to how do, how do we get someone to engage in a program and then keep them on it long enough that they start getting benefits? Once you start getting benefits, it starts becoming addictive. Now you want to stay on it. Yeah. This is what happened to me when I first started working out when I was a teenager. I was 18, and... I used to party a lot when I was a teenager, so I was leading a really unhealthy lifestyle. And then I got tired of just being weak and lethargic all the time, so I started getting into working out. And once I started working out, and I started making some progress, started lifting weights and making progress, it, it became like a, a fun addiction, where it's like, now you, wanted to, now you wanted to improve other areas of your life that are gonna help improve your workouts. And, and I still leave that kind of lifestyle now. It's like, uh, I don't have, I'm able to keep my diet clean and, and sleep well and so forth because I know how beneficial it is for my performance goals, my workouts and so forth, that it makes it a lot easier. So I think it's important to get people to have performance goals and not, not just physique composition goals. If that's, if that's a goal someone has, fine, but performance goals as in what can they do? How much weight can they lift? How, how fast can they run? Know, whatever it is, because when you have a performance goal, that's going to keep you focused much more so. It's, it's much more in-depth than just having a physique composition goal where, where you may never be satisfied with results there. Mm -hmm. So you, you believe that when someone has a focused purpose, whether they're Joe Public or a very highly trained athlete, it, they should always have some sort of goal to aim for? Yeah, it's just like, yes, it's just like with your business. I mean, you should have a goal with, if you run a business, you should have a goal of, you should know how, how much money you want to make, uh, how many customers you want to have. I mean, these are all things you want. You should have in your psyche when you're working each day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Mike, you just touched on stress management um, tactics there. Could you just uh, briefly uh, talk about this? Yeah, I mean, ideally, ideally, I want people to engage in stress eradication, which basically means if you're in a bad marriage, time to get out of it. You have a job. <laughs> Easier said than done. Yeah. But you know what? It is, but it's but it's necessary. Because, and I say this as someone who's been in these, these yeah, situations, yeah. not just someone who's never been in. I've been in a bad, bad marriage. What was the solution? Getting the hell out of it. <laughs> that was the only solution. Because if I were still with that lady now, I probably would have jumped off a cliff. <laughs> I wouldn't be here talking to you. <laughs> I, I take it this lady won't be listening to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Well, uh, hopefully she is. She needs to hear it. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> But and then uh, I had a job I hated too before I got into what I'm doing now. And then I, I had the blessing of getting fired from it. And after I got fired, I was like, never again am I going to be in this situation where I work for these idiots and I'm I'm stuck in this this job with zero passion where I'm not even remotely excited about what I do. And at that time, I felt like I was making good money, which is why I didn't want to quit. Like a lot of other people feel, I make way more now. But more importantly, I'm much happier with what I do. Yeah. So I mean, no amount of money is going to make up make up for having a job you hate or being in a marriage that you can't stand. I can mm -hmm. promise you that. Mm -hmm. No matter no matter no matter how many toys you buy, vacations you go on, it's not going to make a difference. The obvious solution is you got to get out of those situations, and it's not easy. But sometimes you have to make the hard decisions in life, and you have to have the courage to do it. So that's the ideal. The ideal is stress eradication. Now, other forms of stress eradication would be obviously getting sugar out of your diets because sugar is highly inflammatory, which causes a lot of cortisol, your stress hormone to go up, eating garbage food, things like that, drinking a lot of alcohol, binging. And these are all these are all forms of stress. So the most the, the most the more you can eradicate such things, the better. Now, when it comes to stress management. Stress management is what I like in the short run, and then just managing adrenaline. You know, we we pump a lot of adrenaline when we're we wake up. We're focused on making money. We're focused on working out. We're we're doing all these different things, so we're pumping out of a lot of adrenaline. What we want to do is balance that with restorative activities. So a lot of the things I like for stress management: one, getting a, a really good massage, ideally every two weeks, will work wonders. 
for your workout recovery and also just allowing you to have some time to unplug and de-stress. So I really can't recommend that enough. Mm -hmm. Having a good sports massage or a good relaxation massage every two weeks. If you could do it once a week, that's even better. But for budgetary purposes, let's say every two weeks and no less than once a month. Doing stuff like Tai Chi and Qi Gong, that really increases your internal energy. And these are basically soft, soft forms of exercise, which I think are great stuff. Joint mobility training, which is stuff I do every morning just to keep my mobility really good. When you get really tight and your mobility goes down the drain, then your workout recovery is going to be hampered. Also, your quality of life is going to be hampered, too, if you're just moving in pain all the time. And then stuff like yoga can help people. Meditation, I'm a big fan of. And meditation basically means getting into a zero-mind state where you're, you're, you're engaging in stillness. And this is something that people have a really hard time with because we're always thinking about the past or the future or we're thinking about what we need to do after we're done meditating. And the key is to get into that state and focus on just maybe one idea. You're focusing on the middle of your forehead or you're zeroing in on a wall, some part of the wall and you're, getting, you're basically giving your brain a break, a very necessary break. Meditation is a very hard skill set to develop, but it's, it's, it's worth the time that it takes to do it. And there's programs out there that can help you with it. There's one that's called the Holosync program, and you just put it in your iPod, and you put some headphones on, and then you just listen to this program, and it really helps you get into a relaxed state. I've been using this program for years, and what I found is after using it for, let's say, six months, I can get myself into that relaxed state without it. So nowadays, when I get on a plane to fly somewhere, I can just put myself in that relaxed state, and usually fall asleep, no problem. And that's that's really the best way <laughs> to fly anywhere because it's not fun. Mm -hmm. So if you can get yourself in a relaxed state and fall asleep on a, on a long plane ride, it's going to be much more pleasant, and you're going to be much more restored and ready to go when you get your, to your destination. So I mean, these are just some of the tactics that I think are very important. Basically just taking time to unplug. You know, watching things like TV, that's not really a restoration because that's, first of all, most of what's on TV is garbage. Now, I like to watch a couple shows myself, don't get me wrong. I'm not someone who never watches TV, but I'm not someone also who sits in front of this TV for hours on end flipping through garbage either. So you don't want to, don't confuse stuff like that for necessarily relaxation because your brain is still firing big time when you're engaging in stuff like that. Same thing with the internet. We have to we have to learn how to just kind of reduce stimulation in our daily lives, and that's where we're going to get a lot of the rejuvenation from. Mm -hmm. Mike, can you speak about mindset as well? I remember you said um, I can't remember where it was, but you spoke about Viktor Frankl, and he basically said he was a Holocaust survivor, and he basically said the one thing you always have control over is your mindset. Yeah, it's true. And Viktor Frankl was, he was a guy that was in an internment camp in World War II. And he said that the people that were able to survive that were the people that found happiness in any moment they could get it from, such as the sun is shining today, or someone made a joke that was funny, or we had food which was somewhat edible today, or I had a good game of cards. You know, whatever it was, you had to find something that improved your mindset. Now, the people that just really got depressed were like, oh, I'm in this situation, this is terrible, which is obviously a natural state. I mean, most of us would be in that state if we're ever in a situation like that. But those people usually never made it. They basically just died from the depression. So the mindset is very critical. We have to find some way to be empowered all the time. And so we don't have control over what happens to us in life necessarily, but we do have control over how we react to it. And that's what we need to focus on. Now, at the same time, we don't want to use that as an excuse to stay in negative situations. So, like, back to what I was saying before, if you're in a bad marriage, don't just be like, well, I'm not going to let her stress me out, or I'm not going to let him stress me out. I'm just going to choose to be happy regardless. That's not where I'm going with it. We want, whenever, when we have the, we always have the, well, whatever power we have to make changes, we want to use it. We don't want to just, we don't want to make excuses for not doing it. But at the same time, we you can, you can have it all and be depressed, and you can have nothing and be happy with the power of your mind. And I've seen that before. I've seen people in, in underdeveloped countries like Kenya and Uganda who, who live in nothing. They live in dirt in these hut houses, 
and they're smiling all the time, and they've got a lot of friends, and they're happy, and they they're, they're seemingly happy. I haven't spent enough time with these people to know whether what their daily state is like on a on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But I but then on, on the flip side, I've seen people like in Beverly Hills, which are loaded. But what do they do all day long? They just complain. Oh, the gardener didn't show up on time. It's like, oh, my car wash wasn't as good as I wanted. My Rolls my Rolls Royce doesn't look as good as it should. Oh, my nails weren't done properly. You know, they're just one complaint after another. Yeah. So I, so I, so I think that mindset is very important in the sense that let's be grateful for what we have, but let's not use that as an excuse to not improve. But at the same time, let's not let's let's not be someone that just complains about everything. But that's also not be someone that's just overly positive, where you just try to put a positive spin on everything, so you never make any changes either. You want to have kind of more of a, a, a realistic. I hate to use the word realistic because realistic people are generally never successful. <laughs> They're too focused on what they can't do. But you want to have some sense of brutal reality in your life because that's where the power to change will come from. Mike, you mentioned about a book called The Lucifer Effect, and you said that had a big impact on you. Can you just explain why? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a whole chapter in my book based on that book, and it's it's basically about how easy it is for people to turn evil. And everyday people are capable of turning extremely evil, just like what happened in in Rwanda, where close to a million people were killed, butchered, just like that. And it happened in, in, in 90 days. And these were people that these two tribes, the Hutsis and the Tutsus, used to coexist peacefully for many years. And then, and then the the Hutsis turned on the Tutsus and just nearly brought them to nearly wiped them out completely out there. And it started off with just little things like, oh, they're the one, they're the reason for our problems. And then it became, okay, now we need to wipe them out, otherwise we're still going to have these problems. Now we need to kill all of them. And, it, and when you read, when you hear a story like that, you're like, wow, I, I don't know how those people could be like that. We, we would never be capable of doing that. But when you look at it closer, you realize that it was a very gradual decline of manipulation where people thought they were just, just had their strings pulled into the point until they went into this psychotic state. Mm-hmm. And everyone is capable of turning evil. That's the first thing you have to realize. And it's the people who say, oh, I would never do that. I'm, never, I'm not capable of doing that. Those are the people you have to worry about. And it reminds me of a guy named... He was a... Dr. Bruce Nadler. He was a pretty famous plastic surgeon for a lot of bodybuilders in the U.S. And this guy spoke at an event that I spoke at, a fitness summit years ago. And he seemed like a really nice guy at the time. My wife and I talked to him. My current wife, he was a great lady, not my ex that I'm talking about. (laughs) But we talked to this guy for a while, and his wife, very nice couple and so forth. A month later, I'm reading in the newspaper, this guy killed his wife at point blank and then pulled the trigger on himself now that was really creepy and disturbing for me to even read about because this was more personal than me reading about something that happened thousands of miles away on the other side of the world this is something where I met this guy and he seemed like a nice enough guy I I didn't see any indication that this was was, was something that he was capable of or or even anything close to it and was this something where this guy just decided to do that one day out of the blue? No. It was a very gradual deterioration for him. He lost his medical license, and then he tried to develop a fitness business which didn't work out. And I'm sure there were a lot of other factors that came into it as well. I'm not even remotely trying to justify his actions. I think what he did was horrible. But what I'm trying to say is it's not as simple as there was just something wrong with him, and that's why he did it. He was a regular guy just like you and me and everyone else listening to this. Yeah. He was a regular guy for... The first 50 years of his life, no problem. And then somewhere along the line, there was this gradual decline, and then he ended up doing this. Now, imagine imagine meeting, imagine if we could go to a time capsule and just go talk to this guy when he's 30 and be like, hey, guess what, man? This is where you're heading when you're 60 years old. I mean, this guy would be shocked, just like any of us would be. Because, again, we, we don't think we're capable of that. So my point is is to accept the fact that we're capable of really good and we're also capable of really being evil as well because when we realize that, we're less likely to be susceptible to situations. In other words, we're less, less likely to be in a situation where we just go with the flow and hurt people because we never thought about it. We're more likely to be like, wait a minute, I don't want to be a part of this, so I need to have the courage to pull back and, and resist. 
Mike, you recently just released uh, a book. Can you just explain why you felt it was necessary to write this? Yeah, I wrote a book called Live Life Aggressively, What Self-Help Bureau Should Be Telling You. I, I released it last year. My main, I mean, these are things I've been writing about for a long time on my website. Just uh, I, have a, I have a degree in religious studies, and I'm a very philosophical person by nature, so I, I like to discuss such things and provoke thought. I think provoking thought is always a healthy thing. It's not about getting people to agree with me. And tell me how great I am, but it's about getting it's about getting a dialogue going and getting people to think about things that they may not have thought of. So that was the that was the impetus for writing the book. But really, what got me motivated to write the book is I came up with an idea of using it as a fundraiser, where I give away a large percentage of the profit to help two organizations, two causes that I'm a really big advocate of. One is wounded warriors. I think we should all be doing a lot more to help wounded warriors that fight for our countries and put themselves on the line, whether we believe in the causes or not is irrelevant. We should definitely help the soldiers that are dedicated to keeping us safe and, and protecting the country. And then and then also uh, abandoned animals is another big thing for me. I'm, a, I'm an animal lover. I follow a, a, veg, a vegan diet for ethical reasons. And there's a lot of animals that are being abandoned and put down because foreclosure rates are so high now in the U.S. and elsewhere that I wanted to support a really good organization here in town that does a great deal to help. It's a no-kill shelter that helps animals get placed and so forth. So anyway, I felt that the book could be a really good fundraiser for that, give a good percentage of the profit to that. And also the book would be something that really provokes thought because there's a lot of books out there that are motivational, but they sugarcoat things too much. They basically try to get people to do affirmations or just think positive and things like that. And I wanted something that was more of a slap in the face. Like you read this book and it, maybe it makes you angry. And maybe you get angry at me because I'm telling you things that you need to hear, but you don't want to hear it. But at the end of the day, you get empowered to make some changes in your life. You look at my example, the examples of other people I've given, and you realize that, you know what, I don't have to accept this life of mediocrity. I can do something about it. So I really felt like the book would help give people the impetus that they need. And it has helped a lot of people. I get emails from people daily telling me how the changes they've made in their lives, quitting jobs they hate, getting out of bad relationships, you name it. And I don't think that the book is 100% responsible for that, but I think it was like a tipping point. It was like one more thing that they needed to hear. These ideas were already in their head. And then this book was like the last domino that helped them push into that direction. <laughs> Someone else is at the door? Yeah, no, that, that's just my wife coming in, so we're good to go. <laughs> um, you, I, actually, I never knew you were a, a vegan. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I got, I, got into, I got into vegetarianism when I was 14 just because uh, I learned about animal experimentation and what happens on factory farms and things like, things like that. And then I gradually cut out animal products as the years went on. And then, uh, so I dialed it down to a vegan diet. And then I, I just learned how to optimize. It's for ethical reasons, but I learned how to optimize it where I still perform at a very high level. And my training is good. My hormones are good. And it's something that a lot of other people are interested in as well. But, uh, but some people do it for performance benefits. There's someone like Nick Diaz, an MMA fighter, follows a raw vegan diet because he health, he feels it helps his performance. I don't necessarily argue performance benefits one way or the other because I feel that diet is very personal for people in terms of one thing is going to work for someone, it's not going to work for someone else. Mm -hmm. But in my case, I was leading with more of what I feel is the ethical issue. So that was at the forefront. My performance and training goals were secondary to my belief system. But, but I don't really feel like I've had to compromise anything. I feel like I have it dialed in that it works out really well for me. But you, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be a fierce opponent to people who incorporate animal products in their diet? No, I wouldn't because I, I'm not a judgmental person and I'm not someone that tries to impose my belief systems on other people. But what I do tell people is that you want to get that. You want to get, if you're going to eat meat, it should come from the healthiest animals possible, meaning... I don't think I, I do think that factory farming should be abolished. I think it's horrible for the animals, and I oh, think yeah. it's bad for the people eating the meat. The only ones who benefit are the corporations that make a ton of money off giving people a bad product. Mm -hmm. So that so I think a much better situation would be you only get meat from or from small farmers, organic, free range eggs, grass fed beef, things like that. The healthier the animal is, the better it is for you. And so even if you could care less about the animal welfare, you care about your own welfare, it makes sense that if the animal's unhealthy and in a diseased state and pumped up with chemicals, there's no way you're going to be healthy.
do that. Um, Mike, that's pretty much it. I, I really appreciate all your time. Just uh, a few more uh, last things. You're coming to Ireland sure. this year. I am coming out to Ireland. I'm going to be out there in September. I, I forget the dates off the top of my head, but it's on my website at MikeMahler.com. And I'll be in Dublin for a weekend, and I'm going to do a level one beginner kettlebell course on a Saturday, and then a level two intermediate course on a Sunday. And I've got a special for people who sign up for both courses. You get a discount, or if you just want to pick one or the other based on your skill set. I also do hormone optimization lectures at each course. So a lot of the things that we discussed at, on this call mm -hmm. will be discussed at the course. And then I also give away videos at the course. I give away $150 worth of training videos at the beginner course and then $50 at the intermediate course. And the videos basically cover the content that's at the course so you get the, the ability to have 100% retention with yeah. this skill set. You don't just go to a course where you get overwhelmed from information and you don't remember anything. Now you go to a course, get a lot of good information, and then you get a video to help reinforce that, what you learned. So it's going to be a great time. People are going to love it. Brilliant. Um, any closing thoughts, Mike? Uh, not so much. I think I blabbed on quite a bit here. <laughs> no, it's but, brilliant. Uh, brilliant. Thank you very much. And for people who want to check out more of my information, I've got a lot of free information on my website at mikemahler.com. That's brilliant. Guys, um, so mikemahler.com if you want to learn more. I highly recommend anything by Mike. Um, as I said to him when we first got on the call before I, I hit record, He's actually indirectly had a huge influence on me. He was the first person I actually heard talk about hormones and hormone optimization, and that really got me into functional medicine and nutrition. So I owe Mike a lot in that regard. So uh, thanks a million for that, Mike. Guys, that's, uh, that's it for this week. I'll talk to you soon, and take care.